This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. So today we're starting a series, What Child Is This? And uh, we're going to be going verse by verse through the entire chapter of Luke 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 2. And we're looking at a familiar text. And it's so familiar, uh, maybe some of you will just read through it uh, this Christmas season as a family. I know that's a tradition for many of us. Uh, But we are going to pause, spend some time. Hopefully you will see uh, some details in this story that maybe you've never seen before. Uh, You will see it with fresh eyes. That's our desire because I was thinking about this with Christmas music. I'm just to show you how familiar things can become. I'm only going to sing one word of a Christmas song and then ask you to finish it. Okay, and the 830 totally participated with this, so I'd love your participation. Here we go. Rudolph. See how he got it? Watch this one. Grandma. Oh, that was powerful more than the Rudolph. Now watch this. It's the most wonderful time of the year, people. You live in Branson, and you are letting your town down. How about this? I'll one word. You got the song. Or how about this one? Um. <laughs> I think the mistake there is I was off pitch. Was I off pitch? I was off pitch. Okay, so forget that. <laughs> I think I nailed it in the first service, but I don't know for sure. So we can become familiar with a text, and I am praying that we see it with new eyes. Over the month of December, we have four messages in Luke 2, and today we're going to look at the first seven verses. And I want to start as we talk this season about the gospel. We're talking about why the manger matters, and we're going to end the message with why does it matter to you? Why does it matter to me? We're going to make three key observations in Luke 2, 1 through 7, and then four application points of why, why does it matter to me personally this Christmas season. And so as we talk about the word gospel... Uh, If you've been in church uh, for any length of time, we use the word gospel, which comes from the old English word Godspell, which means good news. And, uh, you know, when someone comes up to you and says, I have good news, bad news, what do you want first? Uh, I'm going to give you the bad news first. According to the scripture, there is none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death. But the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And... I love the term good news, gospel, but we find it rooted in this great Greek word, euangelion, which means, I think it's even more weightier than good news, news that brings great joy. News that brings great joy. And we have to understand this word in the day of Jesus. Pastor Sean Kennedy takes euangelion and puts it this way. For those living in the time of Jesus... The word euangelion was used to refer to life-altering, history-making, world-shaping news. That is the gospel. It should change us. We're not here today for a TED Talk. Not really. But how many of you enjoy TED Talks? And I'm not talking about sermons that I do. I'm talking about the YouTube thing. I love, I love TED Talks. I learn a lot in TED Talks. They're intriguing. I actually love the, just the, how polished they are, and you can tell someone's been working with them. But in a TED Talk, I get a lot of good information, and I get a lot of good advice, but it's not, it's not life-altering, world-shaping news, even though it's good. 
And, and Timothy Keller puts it this way. Uh, good advice tells you what you need to do. And we never want Woodland Hills to be a place where you get a TED Talk with a Bible verse. We always want to be centered on the person of Jesus, the gospel, the good news that brings great joy. The gospel is that good news. News tells us what has already been done, and Advent proclaims the good news of what God has already done for us through Christ. I was driving in this morning on my way to church, and it's just so many things happened to me just coming here on Sunday morning. I, I have to leave room in sermons because of the illustrations I get between my house and church. And I didn't share this one with you because Amy says I need to give it a couple of weeks. Uh, but two weeks ago when I was coming to church, I pulled to the end of my road and another pastor lives near me. And you don't, it doesn't matter who it is. His name's Jeremy Thomas from First Baptist Branson. <laughs> and uh, I pull up to the stop sign and I mean, man, he goes flying by. And my text to him was, slow down, bro, holy smokes. I'm going to do a little smoke emoji coming out of the back. And, uh, and he goes, I'm just excited to, to get there. And, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a redneck. I drive a truck with a lot of light bars. And, uh, and so the race was on, and here comes Ted behind Jeremy. I mean, I was ready to go. And, and I don't know if you know, but Route 76 on the other side of Taney Como, it's a very hard street to pass people on. Not impossible, just difficult, okay? And so I pull up behind him, and I hit my light bars on, which gives you a sunburn on the back of your head, uh, and it's broad daylight. But just two pastors in the Ozarks having a good time, can't wait to get to church to declare the good news of Jesus. And that he, he texted, I wasn't texting while driving, just by the way, I, I paused when did it. Jeremy texted a lot while driving. Uh, and... And I, I thought about this for a moment. I got today, it was like, man, what's going to happen today on the way to church? And on the way to church, I got a text from a friend who's had some struggles. And uh, yeah, I, I just want to read. It's, it's the lyrics of a song we sing here all the time about this life-altering, history-making news in the name of Jesus. And he says, I'm just reminded this Advent season of some things I'm dealing with. And he said, Ted, I can tell you this, a lot of people in the church today that you are heading to are going to be dealing with this depression anxiety as exciting as christmas is and as the joy that fills us this time of year i know that's not the case for a lot of you who are in here right now and then he just sent me the lyrics of, i mean look at this this text is like uh, i love it and he said he just gives me these lyrics and i've pulled over i live near an ace hardware that doesn't have a there's no you know we don't have shoulders on the roads here in the ozarks i pulled over into their grass uh, to read this. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break, declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus because your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life, I'm just going to tell you, you ain't getting that from a TED Talk. There's nothing wrong with a TED. I love TED Talks. But it's the name of Jesus that breaks every stronghold, shines through the shadows, burns like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression. Say it with me. I speak Jesus. Jesus. The name of Jesus. And some of you, as the gospel is proclaimed during this season and at our church 
the good news of Jesus, the life-altering news. For a lot of you, it, it's a recalibration time. I don't know what you've been going through the last couple of weeks. I've been going through some things that have been a little exhausting, a little wearisome, like, and, and my lower lip can start to quiver and my teeth can grip when I think about it. We'll talk more about that in my therapy at the end of the message. Uh, but, but some of you have stiff-armed Jesus, the gospel, when you hear it, because of the people that you've heard it from. Like, I want nothing to do with that. My family talks about it all the time. And have you sat at our family table? And that, right, we're going to spend a lot of time with family. And some of you are like, my family turns me off to the gospel. I, I joked with Amy yesterday. I go, there's a fine line between a family gathering and a hostage situation. <laughs> but some of you are like, I don't, I don't want it. And, and I'm just telling you, maybe you've just been watching a bad version of it. Maybe you've, you've been around someone who proclaims the name of Jesus, but when you watch the walk, you're like, that doesn't, it doesn't match up at all of who I think Jesus is and who I've been told he is and what I read in the Bible. Why do you act like this but say you believe this? And so you're stiff. I mean, Pastor Andy Stanley puts it this way. If the life and teaching of Jesus doesn't strike you as good news, the version you've heard may not be the original version. And what we want to do for the next four weeks is give the original version starting today with the manger. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 2. And we want to talk about these three observations and, and spend a little time in them because I've, for me, I read it this week. And I'm like, well, I'll just explain it and then move on to application. But God did a work in these seven verses in my life this week to, to remind me of this story because it starts right with names. And let's just be honest. Alex brought it up last week. Uh, Alex has really inspired me with this, just how he loves the list of names and the, the, the observations and interpretation that he can pull out of a list of names. It's just it's, it's overwhelming what God is doing in that list of names. But you and I skip the list of names because we don't like pronouncing the names on that list, nor do we sometimes see the value in the names on that list. But here's why it's important, and as we go through Luke 2, nothing about the birth of Jesus just happened. Like, we're not reading a story about this, just Joseph and Mary kind of stumbled upon this. This just kind of happened to them. I hope you read every verse and every word as a detail in the story of what God intended with the birth of Jesus of what was part of his plan with the birth of Jesus. So let's look at these three observations. Number one, the manger declares the sovereignty of God. God is over all. He is still in charge. And we need to be reminded of that as we jump into the first three verses today. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Circle that in your Bible because this is key to the first seven verses that we're going to read today. He issued a decree that a census should be taken of the whole world, the entire Roman world. Okay, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. What do we learn in the first two verses? A couple of things. Number one, the birth of Jesus is part of history. This isn't Greek mythology. This isn't just something that... that people tell stories about. These are real names of real people who really lived, Roman governor who really took this census. 
So it's part of history. We also see, I just I love this, and we need to be reminded of this in 2022 in the United States of America, God is sovereign over history. God is sovereign over the world still. He is sovereign over the United States of America. He is sovereign over Washington, D.C. He is sovereign over Jefferson City, which is our capital, right? Yeah, and uh, I always get, is it Columbia? that's not that's Mizzou. Anyway, I know my state. He's sovereign over all. He's and this is so important. This isn't something that just happened, but God works through this to give us the details of the rest of the story. Hey, and and so why is verses 1 and 2 so important? And everyone because of this went to their own town to register. God God is over kings and kingdoms, Caesars, emperors and empires. We read in Proverbs 21.1, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water. Never forget that. The king's heart is in the hand of God, that he channels toward all who please him. Why is this important? God works through Caesar to issue a decree that a census should be taken. Why? Because it leads us to the second observation in this text. The manger fulfills Old Testament prophecy. And we're going to see this small prophecy with great implications fulfilled because of this decree that was issued. So we keep reading in Luke 2, 4 and 5. So Joseph, Alex really shared a lot of his story, a righteous man last week, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house And the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. John Piper makes this observation of the text, which I love. He says, You know, God could have chosen a young Jewish woman already in Bethlehem. But we read in the previous chapter, right? It's a a woman, Mary, who's who's not in Bethlehem. So he's got to get Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it only happens because of a decree. Now, God, I always love these could-haves. God could have just picked that woman, or he could have had a business dealing that Joseph needed to go to, to Bethlehem for. But think about this. God sends something out over the whole world. This is important as we get to the manger to understand. In that big of a detail, how small of a detail the manger is. So hold on to that. God works through the whole world, right, to move them from Nazareth on to Bethlehem to fulfill this prophet, prophecy in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small, we just sang about this, O little town of Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel. This is where the Messiah is going to come from whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I just see this. Overall, to get them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And then that takes us to the third one. Hold on to that moment because we're going to see that the manger reminds us that Jesus is the lowly servant all the way to the cross. Okay, the, the manger isn't something that just happened. It's not an accident. It's part of the plan of God. Let's keep reading in Luke 2. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, 
a nasty, stinking, feeding trough. The one in our video was pretty clean. You could tell that was fresh wood from Home Depot. Picture a stinky, nasty, smelly, I love watching cows. We live on a street with cows. I don't actually go to where the cows are. I stand on this side of the fence, if you know what I mean. And I watch them from a distance. They, they go to the manger, a, a, a feeding trough, because there was no guest room available for them where our text ends today. Now, you're going to see memes over Christmas, right? You're going to see memes over Christmas that Joseph forgot to make a reservation. Did he? Are you telling me that God, who can work through Caesar to issue a decree that a census be taken of the entire world to move Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, couldn't have a free room available for them once they got there? No. Or a better understanding is the manger was the plan. Because it's how he's going to be born, and it's how he's going to live his life. Follower of Jesus, stick with me on this one for a second, because we're getting ready to come into some major conviction here in a second. Lowly servant from the manger all the way to the cross. Right? We see this all throughout. We could share a lot of texts. I'll share just a few of them with you. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This was lowly servant from birth to death. We read... In the Gospels, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. That's not how it's going to work in the kingdom. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. We live in a country that says everything's about getting to the top, but our Savior teaches us that greatness is about something you descend into becoming the servant of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I I read a pastor this week. He encouraged me. I just want to share a couple of scenarios. And he just, he asked this question and intrigued me. And so I kept reading, may we remember all the ways Jesus could have come into the world, but didn't. There's a, there's a, again, just like he could have chosen a young Jewish lady who already lived in Bethlehem, There could have been a room in the inn, but he went with the manger. Why? He gives a few scenarios. He says, Jesus could have come as an emperor with legions of angel armies and instantly wiped Rome off the map and created a Christian nation in its place to rule the world. But instead, he came as a helpless baby. Another scenario. Jesus could have been born to a wealthy and politically powerful family, but instead was born to a poor refugee family. Understanding this was the plan of God. It's what he intended, not something that just happened. It's not just circumstances in life that just kind of fell upon Joseph and Mary and Jesus that first night. Angels could have been sent to announce the birth of Jesus to the generals of the world's empires. But they announced, as we're going to see next week, their tidings of great joy to shepherds. And I, I, let's go where angels dare to trod for just a second. Some of us want that. That's the Jesus we want. We want the Jesus that wipes the Democrats out of our nation. (laughs) We want the nation free of Republicans. There's a few of you in here that want that. 
There's a certain presidential candidate or a certain senatorial candidate or a certain... Just get rid of them and, and let's get Christians back in power. That's the secret to having a great life and having a great... Just get Christians in power. And Christians have become power hungry. And Jesus modeled for us what? Lowly servant all the way to the cross. And he asked you and I to follow suit. Serving. Lowly servant. He, he, he goes on. Paul says this to the Philippians. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. This is for each one of us. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Every time I read this, I think of something I pray almost every morning, and you need to pray it as well. Start your morning off. You are God. I am not. That, that, that will really get a day kicked off in a good direction. You are God. You are in control. And I am, I am submitting to you understanding I'm in control of nothing. You, you realize... It, I, it's not an accident that there is a roundabout five miles from my house. You know why? Because I get up every day, get in my truck. I got the day ready to go. I'm in charge. It's kind of like why I don't like to fly as much. as If I can get to an event by driving, I'm driving because I'm in control. Ah! You're not in control. I get behind that wheel. I get to the roundabout and realize I ain't in control at all. I thought I had my day planned, but that person needs to surrender their license immediately. It's not that difficult. Stay in your lane. But yeah, I'm not in control. Jesus, here's the difference between me and Jesus. Jesus is God. He is God. I'm not. You're God, I'm not. Jesus is God, but, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But you know what he did? And it starts in the manger and it goes all the way to the cross. He humbled himself by taking the form of a servant and by becoming a little baby, by becoming a human being. And then he became obedient to death, even death on the cross, the next verse says. And you and I get to follow suit. You and I get to take this story of the manger and ask the question, why does the manger matter now to me? Why does it matter to you? Number one, we learn from this story, God is in control. He's over the nations. We can rest in that. Some of you are worn out right now because so much about your life is out of control. May the gospel be a time for Christians because Christians still need the gospel. Why? Christians need this message to recalibrate our lives. Some of you right now think you're in control. I, I think I, I, was, I wrote down a lot of the professions. I'm only going to share a few of them. We have realtors in our, in our church. You killed it in the last two years. You've done phenomenal. But guess what? As good as you are at your job, you are not in control of the housing market. And you're going, tell me about it. We have no idea what 2023 holds. That's, but you know what? Your hope is not in the housing market. There are some of you who just retired down to Branson. I always say down. Some of you retire up <laughs> to Branson. But you are in Branson because your portfolio hit where it needed to hit. Your retirement date hit. You got the sheet cake and you're ready to go. But guess what? You're not, you have zero control over the stock market. Zero control. And so some of us, we like to have things in control or like, like I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. There's a certain amount in my checkbook that I love to keep. I'm not telling you what that number is. Some of you, your number's gonna be higher. Some of you, your number's lower. But when I have this number in there, things are good. 
I don't need to trust God. I don't. Why? I got it. It dips below that? Dear Jesus, Lord, I, I am not uh, where I want to be right now. Would you please? Uh, I don't want a relative to die to get it, but if, if there's just something that could happen, I don't know, a tax credit I don't know about yet, or a creative accountant, whatever you want to do, it, it, that's not just, that's us. But for some of you, it's not money. It's the house you live in. It, you, you're in control of, whew, if I have this taken care of. Some of you have done every single thing Dave Ramsey has told you to do. Let me tell you, follow Dave Ramsey to a T, get your money healthy, you're still not in control. It's an illusion. Ain't happening. But you also need to learn this. God is sovereign over all, yes. And just as we read in this text, all the little details coming together, your life is no accident. I, I've had to work with people who said, my parents never planned me, and they've let me know that my entire life. <laughs> let me tell you something. You may not be the plan of your parents, but I am here to tell you 100%, you are the plan of Almighty God. You're not an accident. And, let me, and so if you get that into your mind, what happens is you see things happening to you and like, well, that was just bad luck. Ooh, I just had some good luck. What's the term we like in this uh, toxic positivity culture, right? I just need good vibes right now coming my way. Just give me good vibes. Don't just speak it into the universe so that it comes back to you. We don't speak things into the universe. We cry out to our Father in heaven who is ultimately in control. But some of us, some of us just think that, well, things are just happening to me. <sighs> and then here's where we need to spend a little bit of time as we close. Number three, okay? And this, this is the manger. If anything is about the manger, this is the manger. Your character matters to God way more than your comfort. I, we talked about this yesterday, didn't we? Where's Clay? Yeah, I like being comfortable. Would you raise your hand if you enjoy being comfortable? Just be your hand. You're sitting here in cushy little seats, drinking your coffee. You all... Five of you got coffee. We're, we love comfort. I love comfort. You know what this afternoon is going to look like? I get in a recliner on my side of the couch. I hit that button. You're like, oh, he's bragging about his money. No, I'm not. I just, it's the one thing I want. I want that recliner. And then there's nothing better on a December day than watching the Chiefs play. And oh, oh no, we're just getting started. Watching the Chiefs play. I love fleece blankets. How many of you love a fleece blanket? I love fleece blankets. And my wife buys these little square four-by-four four blankets that I have to choose. Do I want my lower half warm? Do I want my upper half warm? I said, can I just get a blanket that I can wrap under my... This, we're getting specific now, but wrap under my feet, come all the way up over my shoulders, and I sit there, right, and I've got a Yeti with stash peppermint tea. Does anybody... These are all comforts. We call them creature comforts. I love being comfortable just like you love being comfortable. And here's our problem. We've turned creature comforts into what I call Christian comforts. And I'm not talking about the comfort that Christ gives right now. I'm talking about the, the life we think we deserve, we need. And when we're not comfortable, there must be something wrong. We do it all the time. If I am not comfortable, we at that point begin to question these first two. I'm not comfortable. Well, God, something must be wrong. Or is the comfort 
that is absent from you, the uncomfortable moments you're having right now, intended to grow your character. And I got to be honest with you, the last two weeks, uh, just going through some things, some trials, some things that, man, I just am like, I'm going to fix this. Why? Because I'm in control. Ha! I'm not in control. Yesterday, Amy could tell my mind was there. She goes, are you thinking about it again? I go, I'm thinking about it again. She goes, do you, do you think therapy would help? And, I, and this was my exact answer, no. Which was, which was absolutely, I probably should, just by the answer that I gave you. And, and, I, and I just, I'm like, but Amy, that's why this message today, it, it's a recalibrating moment for me to be reminded what I'm going, God's in control. Whatever happens, he's in control. My life is not an accident. And, and how many of us need to look back on our life when things happen and, and we didn't see the plan. Joe, we, we see these memes of Joseph going door to door, you know, knocking. I'm looking for a room. I'm looking for a room. I'm looking for a room. And we're knocking right now. Go, what is going on? What is going on? What is going on? And we think that this is just happening to us. Or what am I supposed to learn from this? What is God teaching me through this? Because I don't want to have a season of where I'm uncomfortable and waste it. I don't know what 2023 looks like. We're getting a little picture of it, but we don't know fully. We don't know what's going to happen. If we learned one thing from the pandemic, it's that you and I can't control a dang thing. We had everything planned, and then it was all just completely shut down. But now we can look back on it a couple of years later and go, wow, can you believe that happened? A week after you shut your business down, you weren't in the mood to praise your Father in heaven. You were mourning, like I was mourning. But then a couple of weeks later, after talking, you know what some people said? I haven't spent this much time with my family in a long time, and this is good. You see, we were uncomfortable, but then we started to learn the right lessons. We started to understand. Can I just share this with you? Because uh, Pastor Rick Warren has been a mentor to me from a distance for a, a long time. He just retired as a pastor. I'm super jealous. He got the sheet cake, and he's out, and... <laughs> Good for you, Rick. Uh, but this, he is constantly challenging me with this. Hey, how's God making you uncomfortable this week? How are you learning that he's in control and you're not? How are you, how are you balancing these two? How are you learning from this? Or are you whining and complaining and no longer trusting? Pastor Rick says this. Many Christians misinterpret the promise of Jesus that we get abundant life, right? This is John 10, 10, the abundant life we have in Christ. To mean perfect health, a comfortable lifestyle, constant happiness, full realization of your dreams, instant relief from problems through faith and prayer. In a word, they expect the Christian life to be easy. And we have forgotten the manger. He goes on to say, this self-absorbed, let me say that again. This self-absorbed perspective treats God as a genie who simply exists to serve you in your selfish pursuit of personal fulfillment. You're looking for good advice. You're looking for self-help. You're looking for someone to soothe your pain and make you more comfortable when you need to be looking even deeper than that and asking, what is this teaching me about me, my life, and about who Jesus is? He goes on to say, and you can't say it any clearer than this, God is not your servant. 
And if you fall for the idea that life is supposed to be easy, you will either become severely disillusioned or you will live in denial of reality. And, and that's why this message this week for me, I can whine, I can complain, I can get into fix-it mode. Because How many of you are fixers? Okay, listen, I'm going to fix this. All I need to do is fix it, get back to my full-size comforter, my full-size fleece blanket, and then life will be good. And that, that, how long does that last? I've been challenging my kids with the idea, I want you guys to have a walk with Jesus that works anywhere in the world. Moscow, Bordeaux, France, London, Morogoro, Tanzania, Branson, Missouri. Sometimes we get caught up in Christian subculture, and we, we forget about the gospel, the life, and the teachings of Jesus. That's what I want my kids to follow, and that's who I want them to follow. And quit treating God as a genie. God is in control. Your life is no accident. Your character matters more than your comfort. So when you are uncomfortable, lean into what God is teaching you in your character. Because number four, when you add all this up, Jesus is your source of joy. And that is great news. It's not your bank account. It's not the stock market. It's not the housing market. And it's not even Branson. Some of you are here right now, and I hear it all the time. You're here right now on vacation going, this place is awesome. It's so comfortable. I should move here. Let me remind you, you're on vacation. And when you move here and become part of our community, we, listen, you know what I won't be doing today? Riding go-karts and eating funnel cakes. <laughs> oh, I'll do it throughout the year, but it's not a daily thing in my life. Like, well, you should. Some of, I'm like, let me just... Comfort, we're obsessed with it in our culture. When we need to be going back to the manger, Jesus born lowly servant takes it all the way to the cross and dies for you and dies for me. And when you understand that message, that you are lost in your sins and there is nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing. The wages of sin is death. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you are living with a death sentence right now. And if you were to die today, hell would be your eternity. That's the bad news. But the good news is Jesus died for your sins. And if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead, it's for by grace you're saved through faith, that it's not of works so that you can't boast about it. You're not getting there on your own works. You're getting there because of Jesus. And when you understand that message, whatever you're going through, whatever your life events are right now, whatever your comfort level is, right, don't focus on adjusting your comfort level. Make sure you're rooted in the person of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we will never treat you as a genie, as our servant. May we serve you and you alone. I ask that you give us the mind of Jesus, the one who, though he is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. May we humble ourselves today and come before you. Use the uncomfortable moments in our life Use the manger moments in our life to remind us of who we are in you, to trust you, that you have a plan for our lives and you are working it out at this very moment. We don't see it, we don't understand it, but we can trust still, and we will. I pray for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus and everything about their life is trying to be God. 
May today they confess to you that they are not God and you are, and may they thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And may they confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that he's been raised from the dead, that they would be saved. We pray all of this in the authority of the name of Jesus, and everyone agreed and said, amen.